Well, welcome to another edition of Unplug It as we tick towards round four and a clash with the West Coast Eagles, which is all about redemption. We've been on for this program or this podcast every week since about round 17 of 2019. And that was the week that Alan Richardson was sacked as senior coach and the club was at a pretty low point. But I can't imagine any of those losses over that period or or any of the subsequent losses since have been as difficult to swallow as the one that we were confronted with on Saturday against the Bombers. Uh, A very, very disappointing performance. Clearly the club's worst performance under Brett Ratton and the statistics out of the game uh, make horrifying reading around pressure action and defensive stuff. It was a, a massive slap in the face. It was there are losses like last year when we lost to Melbourne and West Coast and Fremantle, et cetera, that hurt because they were tight and they were painful and they had consequence. But this was a little bit different. This was a, a loss that we didn't expect in a manner that we didn't expect. And it leaves you scratching your head with a thousand questions about where they go from here, how they dig themselves out of that with a really tough fixture and, and plenty of injuries. We lose Jay Gresham for the season, who's conceivably our second best player. So just an utter disaster of a day and and one that's very, very difficult to explain, but we'll try our best to to work our way through that. Our next three opponents are probably the AFL's three best teams in West Coast, Richmond and Port Adelaide uh, in any particular order. So uh, that is the challenge that awaits. If we lose all three of those games, we are probably cooked. So we have to find a way to get a result and we'll look towards West Coast and step one in that regard. Paddy Ryder returns to Melbourne. Rowan Marshall returns to the Sandringham side last week as we inch closer to perhaps getting a ruck division. But I guess we'll dissect first uh, the Bombers' loss. And H, as we welcome you, uh, this is one that you never get ahead of yourself, but you thought there were reasons for the Melbourne loss. It was frustrating, but you could kind of understand how those things might happen. We expected a bounce back. There was every reason to believe in a bounce back and the performance was significantly worse. And at no stage from the moment the ball was bounced in that game, did we look likely to to get anything out of that game? No, it, it, it was, yeah, disappointing from the opening bounce. Um, it, it It's hard to describe actually what happened. I, I, I sat there at halftime thinking, am I watching actually the right game here? I just couldn't believe watching. I mean, it's not that we weren't um, really bad against Melbourne. I mean, we weren't great, but you're sort of going, okay, I could see where we should be able to improve this, that on that game the, the following week, but everyone just seemed to go backwards. Um, I, I, I really don't know. I guess there was no... Um, hunger for the ball there was no we gonna get in first get and win this game from the outset it almost felt like okay we're just we're just here it's uh, there was no we're gonna take the game by the scruff and win this so it, it, yeah disappointment all around and capped off by as you're saying a bad injury and yeah we come up against some pretty tough teams for next few weeks we do, Nick. That was the definition of not firing a shot. Yeah, you could say that was. Uh, I mean, as all St Kilda fans know, we, we've seen some pretty average teams in our time, and you know, the three of us, you know, St Kilda fans for thirty to thirty-five years max. You know, we're we're around that age. There, there are St Kilda fans twenty or thirty years older than us that have seen 
pretty average St Kilda teams and pretty average St Kilda performances. But in in my time watching this footy club, I'm not sure I've seen as disappointing a performance as that. I remember even when we were an average side, you know, we were not good playing Rabin at Waverley and we weren't expected to win. We had zero expectations of, of winning games of footy. We all wanted to, but we had zero expectations. And the guys had a crack. At least you knew you were going to you were going to turn up on a Saturday afternoon, and they were going to have a dip, and you knew what to expect. That they were going to have a crack. They were going to they were going to hit the contest hard. They were going to attack. They were going to fight for every scrap. And we might lose by ten goals, but they were going to fight and they were going to show some show some heart. And that's what we were known for. And you know, you look at our our lineup and our squad at the moment. And yes, there are injuries and and whatever, but you can't blame last Saturday afternoon evening on on injuries and personnel. That was not a that was not a personnel injury issue. That was a, a complete lack of effort. And, you know, we saw some disappointing results last year, even that the North Melbourne result, the Fremantle result, the Melbourne result that I th- think we all agree we should have won all of those games and didn't mm-hmm. by our own, you know, by our own hand um, and, and let those slip. And they were disappointing. And, and we gave the, the club a bit of a, a bit of a clip those weeks, but yeah, I'm not sure I've ever seen a performance like that out of the St Kilda Footy Club. And, you know, you look at some of the the social media responses from fans, I don't think I've ever seen a fan reaction to a St Kilda loss like we've seen this week, you know, from Saturday night onwards. Uh, and we we heard Jaron Geary speak uh, during this week about coming out and, and having a crack and having a dip and and responding. And that was the whole point of last week, we were meant to come out and we were meant to respond from the disappointment of the Spuds game and, and, you know, what looked like heavy legs and, and, you know, a, a bit of a lack of effort or lack of intensity, um, which we all blamed on the, the rain and the slog in, in Sydney in round one. But there's clearly a bigger issue at play and I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure whether it's a coaching issue. I'm not sure whether it's a mentality issue. I'm not sure where it is, but they've got to respond and they've got to respond quickly. And it almost doesn't matter if we win or lose this Saturday, it's more about how do these guys come out? How do they respond? Because they're getting smashed in the media. They're getting smashed in the stands. They're getting smashed on social media. And rightly so, because they put up a performance that is, in my eyes anyway, unacceptable from a St Kilda football club perspective. And they've got to, they've got to come back with something this Saturday. Yeah, as I've always said, my attitude's always been this way with sports and, and anything, that you can't demand a result from anybody. You can never demand it and say, whether it's your kids or your, anyone you know, saying you will go out and beat this person. You'll run faster. You'll be stronger. You'll be better. You can't ask somebody to promise you that or guarantee you of that. But you can guarantee certain things, like you expect effort, intensity, commitment, and see how far that takes you. Against Melbourne, our pressure numbers, I think, were ranked fourth in the AFL for the round. So there was nothing wrong with the endeavour that night. They had a crack. Their ball use was tardy. They got smashed around the ball uh, with Max Gorn dominating. So they were second to the footy. As a result, they looked a little bit slow, but there was nothing wrong with the commitment. They just didn't win the game. Happens. But that can't be said for the the Bombers game. And uh, in the second quarter, Essendon had 59 more possessions than St Kilda, yet 13 St Kilda players did not lay a tackle. So you don't have the ball and you're not putting pressure on them either. So you wonder where that comes from. Our pressure rating was the worst by any team in four seasons of AFL football. Our 
tackle efficiency was the third worst the St Kilda Football Club has ever recorded in that statistic. Uh, points conceded from turnovers, 17 goals four, which is the worst by St Kilda in 13 years. And the opposition scores per inside 50. So their Essendon scored 59% of the time they went inside 50, which is St Kilda's worst result since Good Friday of 2018, which was probably the last time we lost a game as embarrassingly as that. And that had a really similar feeling. There was a bit of a doomsday feel after that game that, all oh, this isn't pretty. And we often react with uh, emotion. We're in a, a, a Facebook chat group that's not just us, but a few other St Kilda supporters that we're, we're friends with as well. And um, I remember talking during the second quarter saying, how bad is it that our season is over in round three? And the sad part is that I'm not yet convinced that I'm wrong. I hope that I'm wrong, but... Uh, that's sort of up to them. I haven't, I've mellowed a little bit in the feelings around that, but I'm still not entirely sold because that, that was so on the nose and, and so bad that, yeah, that the challenge it's put in front of them and they don't have any soft kills, they've got to beat mm. a very good team somehow whilst under man and whilst under the pump. But um, yeah, I'll never, you know, you'll never write them off and you'll front up again, but that was some serious questions that they've got to answer. Yeah, yeah, there were some, I mean, embarrassing is a good word to use. We've heard both Brett Ratton and Nick Rewalt use it in the last kind of 24 or 48 hours. And and when you've got guys of, of that stature in the game and, and Nick Rewalt at, at our club, who's, you know, God level, when Nick Rewalt uses the word embarrassing uh, about a performance, then you know that there's an issue there. And, you know, it's now on on Rats and, and Ruffy and the, the coaching team and the football department to work out what's gone wrong. And you know, right the ship because we all know, everyone knows that, that this St Kilda team is not that bad. You know, that's not who we are. That's not the type of footy we play. We, we've shown that. And, you know, now it's about getting back to what we know, what, what we do, who we are, how we play. But that was, I mean, that was, we, we've seen some really emotive, like you said, some emotive descriptive words and, you know, insipid and, and all that sort of stuff, which is, you know, when you're talking about, effort and heart and and strength and, and all those sorts of things it's, it's the opposite of what you want to hear even if you lose a game like like you said before um and and you're right you know there's the three weeks coming up are probably the toughest three weeks in in the game and you know i i'm still of the belief that we're not that bad and i still think that at some stage it will even itself up and we will beat a team that we're not expected to beat and you know we'll win some of those games that we're not expected to win whether that comes in the next three weeks, you know, it's too early to tell. And, and you know, if, if we play anywhere near as badly as, as we did last week, then that'll be 100 points against any of those those three teams over the next three weeks. And you can't take Hawthorne lightly either, who I think we play in four weeks. So, you know, it's not an easy run. But, yeah. And that, yeah, that's right. And <laughs> but we've, we've got the ability and it doesn't, you can't blame injuries. We've got the ability, even with the guys that are out, we have the ability to play good football. They just got to go out and do it. And yeah, I, I sat down. I think it was the day after and looked through the possession, or some of the stats of the games and some of the things. And some of them, I was just looking at going, going, thinking that doesn't make sense. I mean, Essendon had was it a hundred and hundred and twenty possessions more than us, but as Parker as was saying, but they tackled twenty more times than us. So. They had the ball more often than us, but they were tackling and getting the ball back from that. We only had three less inside 50s. 
you don't have three less inside 50s from 120 less possessions. So we've wasted the, like, obviously the week before, we were kicking on the head of uh, May and Lever, but this, yeah, last week we seemed to bombed it again and they were taking it away. But then we must have been kicking it to their loose players because at the same time, we won the contested mark with uh, stat 19 to 9. So it's just some really weird sort of thinking, well, how how has this happened? How has that happened? Sort of thing. Like some of those stats that that like contested mark is a match winning stat. Mm. You win it by nineteen to nine. You go, wow, okay, you've you've kicked five more goals than the opposition probably. So it, it's the sort of thing that you're thinking, well, why why one thing's working like that, but at the same time, how can we have one hundred and twenty less touches in a, in a, in one hundred and twenty minutes and have the only three less inside fifties and waste that opportunity. What what so makes it, that contested marks that even more bizarre? How many contested marks do you reckon we took in round one when we beat the Giants? Not many at all. One, Two? one, yeah, one. Tim Membry for the goal that he kicked with six minutes to go was the only contested mark we took with the whole game. Now, admittedly, conditions weren't great, but the Giants took fourteen, I think, in that game to to our one. So, yeah, it's 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 bewildering some of those numbers. And Nick Rewald also used the words whether they were like immature in the sense that they got a bit arrogant and maybe just thought, well, we've got a soft kill now. We had a loss last week. We get to come out and smack a, a vulnerable young team. And we don't have a right to be that arrogant yet. Um, we've made one finals campaign. Um, if that is the case, I'm not saying it is, but, yeah, we, we haven't earned that right yet. And I agree with what you said, Nick, that we're not a bad side, certainly not. And I don't think we're going to fall in a hole and go 6-16 six and 16 or anything like that. But my sentiment was around have we left ourselves too much work to do mm. in that we don't win the next three, we're one and five, and then we get a bit of momentum up and end up with a 10 and 12 season and finish 11th and 100%. look at it and think, geez, that was a waste. We, uh, yeah. we, we, we looked all right at stages and, and blew it with some losses early in the season. When you play twice, West Coast twice, Sydney twice, Geelong twice, uh, and um, whoever I haven't mentioned there, Richmond twice, I think, um, yeah. and, and Brisbane at the Gabba, you can't be losing to Essendon uh, and teams like that, who are probably, with all due respect to them, because they were great on the weekend, probably are not going to make the eight. So you can't mm. lose to teams like that. So we've now got to beat someone unexpectedly. Like we've got to beat Richmond twice, or we've got to beat Geelong at Geelong, or Brisbane mm. at the Gabba, or something like Sydney that. Sydney and get Sydney. One. Yeah, that's right. To get one of those results back, we've probably got to beat Sydney twice, to be honest, mm. here and there. Um, we can't stuff up again. So you can't lose to Hawthorne. You can't lose to North or Adelaide or Carlton. Gold Coast, Carlton, etc. So um, yeah. got to be long way to go. Well, one and two. That's right. Well, one and two last year, and ended up making the finals and, and finishing fifth or sixth. So there and is a way it, out. Like, it, yeah. It's stranger things have happened, right? We saw yeah. Sydney a couple of years ago go zero and six and then make the finals, and so yeah, stranger things have happened, and it's way too early. No matter how bad it gets. It's way too early to write the season off, but you do get that feeling that if something doesn't change, and like I said, that they don't have to win this week, but something's got to change in terms of the mentality and the effort and the intensity and the heart shown that that a switch is being flicked or something because yeah. something's got to change to, to show people that there's reason to keep believing, to keep hoping that this season is still alive. Because you have a couple more weeks like that, and all of a sudden it is you, you know you're one and five, one and six, one and seven, and then you get to that point, and it's like shit, season over, like actually season over. Yeah. Um, and what do you do for the second half of the year then? And and from what a you need is in club perspective, what they that's, need is, that's yeah. a disaster. 
So what they need is intensity against West Coast, but it has to be sustained. It can't be 35 minutes of high intensity and then it falls away again. That's that's clearly alarm bells if they respond, yep. but respond for half an hour yep. and then fall over again. As you say, I mean, West Coast were very good when they lost to the Bulldogs at Marvel. They're a very, very good side. They're in good form. They thumped Port uh, last week. Not an easy game, but a winnable game. Um, you, you sense that if we bring our right attitude and performance, we'll be in this game for a fair while. We'll get a look at them. Yes, their forward line is dangerous and uh, midfield missing a couple, but it's winnable. But if we don't win this game, we have to win the one after, I sense. I don't think we can go lose both of these, go one and four, and then beat Port Adelaide in Adelaide. I think the win has to come at Marvel against... Ideally, we'd win twice, but you've got to win at least one of those to keep yourself alive. So, um, yeah, it's not absolute crisis time, but it is on them to respond mm. and they've got a limited little window to do it. Yeah, so we seem, uh, we seem to have had a, a a reasonable run against West Coast, actually, even when we weren't traveling too well. Mm. Um, I mean, we had, we beat them one year when I think, was it 17? We, we beat them and 27. Yeah. We beat them at, the dome and it was we actually played some really good football that day when previously we hadn't hadn't been playing too good mm. and i think we came really close the time before we played them there as well and yeah, uh, earlier that year we we should have beaten them at, at subia over in there enough. as well but yeah like a year before the year before 15 yeah. even mm. i think we came mm. very close to them when we were written off well before the game even started so mm. we, we've got fair record against them there um it's just a matter of, as we're saying who comes into the team this week and who turns up um yeah we really got to hope the ones we saw nothing from last week turn up this week well that's that's the question isn't it and and parker normally you're the one that, that asks the questions but i'm going to flip this one over to you guys we, we've heard a number of people in the media say this week brett ratton has to take a scalp at the selection table and we've seen Jared Healy, Nick Rewalt said yes. Yes, he would take a scalp and someone big's got to come out. What are you guys doing at the selection table this week? Um, oh, it's a tough one. Um, obviously, we're going to... It sounds like Marshall will be back. So that's going to mean, take McKern probably out. Um, otherwise, I'm not sure, 100% sure who else might be coming back this week. Um, uh, Webster will be right with the concussion. Webster's okay. I mean, that's probably a replacement for... Well, they dropped Ben Long last week and then he got in as a sub. So whether yeah. they drop him again... Yeah. Um... From, from what he did on the weekend, I'm not sure his position's safe. Um, they, he probably didn't do... So I think, what was it? Six touches and four were clangers. So, yeah, it's not... Not good numbers for him there. Um, so I'd suggest that he might be... Six, I think yeah. VFL starts this week, I think, so he could be back there. Um, so it's just a... Yeah. But then also who, who replaces Gresham. Um, I mean, I'd suggest Webster comes in and then there'll be a different sub or maybe a Bytel, give him a go, say, yep, look, get in the middle and do what you do best. Um just start trying to bring a few of them through, but I mean, big scalps. I mean, there's not too many plays you'd want to drop because you just know like, you could drop someone and then get, look at a position during the game and going, 
God, we could actually really use them right now. Um, whether it be we've got no speed on the wing, we've dropped the hill or something like that just to make a statement, and then all of a sudden they're killing us on the wing. And, yeah, you sort of go, okay, well, maybe that could be the wrong decision, but did it send a message and did it change the way the team are going to play? Yeah, when they've got Gaff and, and Sheed and those sorts of players, obviously the outside run is going to be pretty important. But, yeah, th- there's that that split between do you make a statement and drop a senior player or do you put it straight back on those players and say you've cocked this up completely, it's on you to fix it. Uh, there'll be consequences if you don't. I mean, we had one and a half good players really on the weekend. Jack Steele was a good player and memory was okay. That was it really. Um, so the the blowtorch is on everyone really. I mean, if you look at some of the statistics, I mean, Dan Butler kicked 27 goals in his first 13 games for St Kilda. He's kicked nine in his last 12. Um He's had five goalless games in that run as well. He's only kicked multiple goals once in his last 16 games. So, um, and he's a good player, Dan Butler. I'm not sort of saying that that's been a waste or anything like that, but his form is a worry. He's kicked one goal for the season and that was from a free kick he shouldn't have received, most likely, on the siren against the Giants and hasn't looked like it in any others. I mean, Jack Higgins has 17 and kicks three. It's hard to be critical of him. Loney couldn't get near it. Um, Brad Crouch's first game was pretty average, but you probably get a pass based on the fact that it is your first game. But, um, you know, Billings was okay, but drifted out of the game. Hunter Clark got caught with the ball a bit too much. Um, it's probably hard to blame guys like Max King, who presented and had the ball put on his head and stuff like that. But just everybody had a stinker. Brad Hill's clearly a worry. He's played well, mm. I think, as we were saying last week. He's probably played well for St Kilda four times since we recruited him, um, which is not enough for your, your highest paid recruit. Uh, and that's a massive concern. And he probably should be dropped. But you ask the question, do you beat the West Coast Eagles without Hill and Gresham in the middle of the ground? Um, the, the real solution is you... You probably don't win by dropping him. You win by him playing well. But he's got to – how do you get that out of him? So, yeah, I'd, I'd be on the more inclined to back those guys in because there were so many that played poorly. Who do you drop? It's it's a really hard one. And I think – I guess everyone has their own perspective and, and I've heard people that want to you – know, they want to drop 10 blokes. And you just, you just can't because you don't have the players to bring in. We just don't have that depth right now with the injuries that, that we're facing and, and the outs that we've had so far. But the ones that the ones that stick out to me, I think there are some clear, obvious ones that, you know, you know that they're on the fringes of the team. You know that the, the McKernan's, if if uh, Rowan Marshall's back, then McKernan's probably out. Uh, Mason Wood was, was uh, an interesting one who I thought it was an interesting pickup to begin with, but I thought the use of him on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening was strange when you've got, Brad Hill at, at clearances lining up at centre-half forward, essentially. If you look at a, at a ground map, you've got, got Brad Hill centre 50 um, in the forward line, and you've got Mason Wood on the wing, I thought was an interesting an interesting attempt at something. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it didn't, didn't quite make sense at the time. Still doesn't make sense looking back at it now. Um, Jack Loney is another one who I think has been unfairly targeted by sections of the, of the fan base for a while. Uh, but, you know, was pretty average, as was most of his teammates. But I think, you know, if you're going to drop a drop one of those small guys in, in the front half, it's probably him. Um, Dan Butler, I th- you're right about his form being worrying, but I think he's probably got another week or two of money in the bank and, and his performances have shown what he can do 
when he's on and you've got to get him on. But Brad Hill is the is the one. I think if you're going to make a statement, it's it's going to be him. Um, Seb Ross is another one. I thought he was okay, kind of toiled. But you know, we spoke last week about him, you know, showing a bit of showing a bit of uh, of pace and and dynamicness out of out of contests and and whatever the first couple of weeks and and saw none of that last week. Uh, Josh Battles, another one, looked. I don't know how to describe Josh Battle without being offensive, and I don't mean to be because lost. he's one of my he's one of my favorite players. But you're right; he looked lost on the mm. week. He didn't know if he was a forward, a backman, a wingman. Didn't know where he was meant to be, and he, and he looked hopeless. And that's not what I'm used to seeing out of Josh Battle because he's normally so imposing. No matter where you put him, he's an imposing figure. He's an imposing player, and he's dangerous at center half back or center half forward or wherever he is. He's dangerous, and he just wasn't. He looked lost. Um, Dan McKenzie again is you know he's a fringe player and and you look at someone would you be better off with Tom Highmore you know a bit of youth and and um, you know a bit of, a bit of life in those legs um, and long you mentioned long again you know he shows some grunt at times and then other times looks a little bit like Josh Battle he's he's so talented but then looks lost and looks out of place at at, at the level and I'm just not sure what to expect out of him anymore um and then yeah i mean brad crouch you can't i don't think you can be too harsh on brad crouch it's first game new system um you know i think you've got to stick with him but Mm. yeah there's a couple there there were really only four players that i think even got close to a pass mark one was above average jack Steele, you've you've mentioned and there are a couple of others that were kind of in that average average to just below average mark and the rest were woeful yeah, they were, and the interesting one is that um, on and this is a it's a really harsh and a far too simplistic call, but I thought coming out of 2018-19 that for us to really grow as a side, I mean these players can get better, but for us to really grow as a side, I thought that maybe our midfield would move past someone like a Luke Dunstan, and maybe our defence would move past players like McKenzie. So you you still probably feel that way a little bit, and, and whether they're they're better off, and that's really harsh because McKenzie's one of the more courageous players we've ever had. He has a crack and could not fold his commitment whatsoever, but I'd rather them play a high more again or play by tell and move players around and do little things like that uh, and just see how that works for the next generation. But yeah, ultra critical to put that all on him. I mean, Mason Wood had his moments in the game. I didn't think he was embarrassing, but um, technically, it's his first game. He's listed as having played two because he was a sub in round one. But, um, yeah, that would be interesting to see whether they persist with that. But the, the vote situation out of that game is is probably fairly easy, at least in the starting point. Um, I gave – I'll start at the top. I gave three votes to Jack Steele. I think everybody would have done that. He actually got a coach's vote somehow. Uh, he was that good. I mean, career-high possessions, uh, kicked a goal, laid multiple tackles, marks, clearances, 35 possessions. Uh, he was outstanding, really, a complete lone hands. Um, it, it, you, you almost felt sad watching him toil in the middle. He had no support whatsoever. Uh, two votes to Tim Membrys in pretty good form. Uh, nine marks, 18 possessions, had three or four shots at goal, tried to give one away from 20 metres out in the last quarter to Seb Ross that didn't work, so should have kicked one there. But he's he looks in good touch, uh, Tim Membry, and worked hard. And, and the one vote was pretty tricky. I thought Jake Carlisle got a pass. He was okay on the game. Um, I thought Billings was serviceable enough, kicked a couple of goals early. 
Um, but I gave one vote, so I know he did a lot of his work late, but a small forward to get 17 possessions and kick three, uh, Jack Higgins gets a vote. Um, you can't really be too critical of his output on the game. I thought he was poor against Melbourne, uh, but good either side of that. So I went three steel, two memory, one Higgins, Nick. Exactly the same. Mm. Steel, I don't think you can fault him. You know, had questions during the during the game. Is there a leadership issue on the ground? And yeah, Jack Steele, as, as the captain, standalone captain, his first year as captain is doing just about as much as anyone can do on a footy field. Um, as close to a perfect game as you can play in a losing team by 12 goals. Um, yeah, like you said, lone hand, he's, he's unbelievable. And he's so far and away our best player by that far that it's not even funny at the moment. Uh, same Tim Embry, two votes. I thought he presented hard. He worked hard. He ran up to the wing trying to get his hands on the ball. He, he had an impact on the contest closer to goal. Didn't always take the mark, but you know, always presented and, and worked hard. And you're, you're right, the, the same kind of three for that that one vote. Carlisle, I thought, presented and, and worked hard in a, in a position that's not his natural spot. Billings, I thought, was good early. Particularly, I thought his second half was pretty average, but his first half might have gotten him close to a vote. But, uh, but Jack Higgins, I think, for a small forward in that type of game, in that type of environment, when, you know, you're just that far away from it, for him to, to end up with 17-3, I thought probably... Out of anyone that deserved a vote, it was probably him. And I went very similar, but I actually did slot Jay Carlisle in for the one in ahead of Higgins. Um, we've gone from having no Carlisle to me sitting there on the weekend going, I wish we had two. Because <laughs> when he was in the back line, the back line looked a lot stronger. When he played Ruck, the Ruck looked much stronger. So he where he went to, it seemed like... The position, the position he was playing in, we lifted. Um, yeah, as, as a ruckman, he was in there competing, getting the ball down. We were actually starting to win a couple of clearances when he went in there. When he went down back, he took contested marks. He was intercepting. He was, yeah, get, getting the getting the ball back out of there. That, but as soon as he left, they were taking easy marks, kicking goals. Mm. Um, it just seemed to be that, yeah, he, he was actually giving quite some effort, but yeah, we could only be in one spot one time. These are not the uh, the ones that you enjoy doing. I tell you, the uh, I suppose the mood down here and uh, you know watching it live, and we all would have um, very very disappointing. But uh, I think the evidence was there pretty early. It looks like we were off the pace, and we tried to put pressure on the ball and around the ball, but. We, we couldn't do that at all. Our pressure was 1.2 um, in the first half. I think we had one or two tackles in the second quarter, and that was probably because there wasn't many stoppages as well. But our ability to stop them using the footy in time and space, really, really disappointing. And then uh, there was a few things in our defence that really lacked. And, um, you know, because of probably the first part, it allowed us to score and expose our defence. But, you know, this was a night that you'd think, you know, still his 100th and the motivation of a loss last week to respond this way is um, yeah, not great and uh, 
this is going to be the challenge for us. Um, there's going to be pressure and we're going to probably cop it a fair bit, which we rightly should. Um, that's part of the game that you, know, you can't get the pats on the back and not expect to kick, kick up the backside when it goes the other way. So um, from a team point of view, this is the challenge and this is a part of coaching that is going to you know, test everybody. And, but these are the challenge we look forward to, how to get the group back on track and get the performance back to the secure way. And um, tonight wasn't wasn't what we liked at all and um, it was very disappointing but um, we have big challenges. Gresham will be out for the year now with a uh, ruptured Achilles and Jones we'll just have to wait for but Marshall got through so hopefully we can get a few soldiers back but um, you know, regardless of their number they wear a St Kilda jumper and uh, that wasn't up to scratch and um, you, know, you better, you know, as I said to the players, you better come ready next week because we can't have a performance like that and fall away like we did so um, We'll be back here against the Eagles and hopefully with a different uh, result. I'm going to I'm going to live and die by this sword, but I've been saying that Jake Carlisle is is very important to our structure for yeah. two years now, and I know he cops flack, and I understand it because he looks lazy, he looks slow, and he you know he's off he often has these brain fades and he'll kick the ball directly to the opponent or he'll you know get tackled after holding the ball for 45 seconds but you know he he he, the way that he structures us in the back half and i think the way that he competed in the ruck when he went in there on saturday was really important and i think i think we've gone past the stage to call him lazy because he's clearly not he's clearly not lazy even though he looks like it at times and you go back to players we've always had guys like that you look at at guys like um Nick Del Santo, even Hunter Clark and, and Nick Caulfield in recent times, the way that they play and their style is that they make things look slower than they are, but they're not slow and they're not lazy and they do crack in. They do have a, they do have a dip. And I think Jake's one of those guys. And I think he gets unfairly targeted at times, but I think the way that he straightens us up and the way that he impacts our structure and the way that we play is super important. And unless he's injured, I don't think you drop him for the rest of the season, but you know, we talk about making a statement. You go back to that, that game was at 08 when uh, Rossi dropped Milne and, and Del Santo and made a statement um, and it changed, it turned the season around. We've spoken to both of those guys mm-hmm. on previous episodes and both of them pinpointed that moment as the moment they both hated it. They both understood it. They both hated it, but they came back and they they played the team game. They played Saints footy the way that, that you know we wanted to go out and play and it turned the team around. And I think we might be at one of those moments now. Well, St Kilda went 31-6 and six after they dropped those two players, which is a phenomenal winning run. If we could do something similar, obviously, that would be great. I agree on, on Jake Carlisle. I mean, uh, yeah, I get all of that. He's a bit of a space cadet sometimes, and it looks like he's on a different planet to everyone else when he's playing, and you, you can see the decisions that he should make from 200 metres away, and you, you're almost screaming. You can see what's going to happen, and, and it frustrates the life out of you. But, yeah, he's intercept marking. He can swing forward, and... The last two times, you know, two of our most important games last year, he didn't play. One of them uh, due to the birth of a child and the other one he was left out of the side. The the final against Richmond, he was missed massively. Um, And the game against West Coast, ironically, last time late in the season when we didn't play him down back, went in slightly small and had Kennedy, Darling and Oscar Allen uh, get off the chain at various stages against us. We're at that same dilemma now. All three of those guys are playing. All three of them are in good form. you got Howard, you got Wilkie, uh, and, you know, Frawley's not fit. 
Um, he's injured whether they play Highmore, who's just a kid. So it's a, when I say a kid, he's a mature recruit, but an inexperienced AFL player. Uh, Jake Carlisle has to play in this game, particularly if they play Marshall, because you get a bit more mobility against Nick Nat if, if Carlisle plays as your second ruck, potentially. So um, I think it's a... And it was interesting, the Paul Hunter stuff from last week, where Brett Ratton, halfway through the press conference, was sort of trying to protect him a little bit, saying, oh, he's come out of the sand. Well, he played two really vigorous games. Um, and then they, they said, oh, so was he rested or dropped? He goes, no, no, he was dropped, definitely dropped. And um, yeah, it, I would hope that they would persist with the mobile setup until Ryder comes back. Uh, so you have Marshall and if he plays, Marshall and Carlisle. I shudder to think what happens to us in the ruck if Marshall doesn't play in this game. But at the same time, you don't want to panic and play Marshall because you have to when he's not quite ready and then he misses another eight weeks. So, um, but yeah, Carlisle 100%, I think, needs but, to uh, needs to be persevered with. The ruck position's a really interesting one. And, and you mentioned that feeling of, you know, I hope they don't play Marshall because they have to. Like, hopefully he's good to go. He you know, played three quarters uh, for, for Sandy on the weekend. And from what I read and, and hear, the majority of that was in the ruck, which is which is a good sign. But, you know, playing against Nick Nat on Marvel and the West Coast midfield is a different story than playing, you know, the Essendon BFL team um, in a practice match. So it's it's a really interesting one. The, the Paul Hunter one's a really strange and interesting conversation. I reckon we could talk for an hour about that alone because I think I really think that we could have been a bit more strategic with how we roll out this this ruck issue over the last few weeks and, and these first three weeks. I said a couple of weeks ago that you know if you look at it strategically, Paul Hunter is never going to beat Max Gorn in the ruck, and we're always going to lose that contest no matter what. Doesn't matter if Paul Hunter plays the game of his life, he's going to lose that matchup either in the ruck or around the ground. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna play matchups with Paul Hunter, then drop Paul Hunter for Max Gorn and, and go with someone like, like a, a, a McKernan or a Josh Battle or run with someone, run with him around the ground and, and try and nullify him around the ground or beat him going the other way or something. But, but do something with Max Gorn against Melbourne and then bring Paul Hunter in and play him against Essendon where they've got a weak ruck division. They're missing their number one ruck. They're playing a glorified forward who's not even, you know, a, a starting forward for Essendon at, you know, on any given day, they're playing him in the ruck in Peter Wright. And he by no means starred. He by no means had a good game against us, but he, he did enough. And we had no one in the ruck against him, but that was the week where you play Paul Hunter against Peter Wright and potentially you give him a rest the week before and try and do something different against Max Gorn. And, and this week's a little bit the same. If, if Rowan Marshall's not good to go, then, what do you do? Do you bring Hunter back in and, and play a traditional Ruckman in the middle? Or do you have someone run with Nick Nat around the ground and just try and maybe not even break even, but tank the contest in, in the center at the bounce, tank the Ruck contest and try and get someone to run with him and nullify his impact around the ground. You need players in there that can read that Newey better. Um, I mean, even if you play, once again, that smaller Ruckman to try and be maybe that fourth midfielder um, and yeah. try to have four on the ball. Cause I mean, Nick, that can move as well as anyone in there at the, mm. as well. So if you put a big lumbering Ruckman in there, they've got the four, you've got three. So it's mm. kind of a bit like, well, you might need to play someone who is a lot more mobile. So 
Whether... You try someone like like Josh Battle in the ruck. I mean, you look yeah. at what, what what Gold Coast are going to have to do, you know, over the next three to six weeks with Jared Witts out for the season and and Zach Smith and a few of their other kind of big guys out for a while. They're going to run with Hugh Greenwood mm. at the ruck contest for for portions of the game. Do you run with a uh, a Josh Battle and a uh, and a Jake Carlisle in the it, ruck? It, do you, it, do you it, put it's, Dougal it's... Howard? Dougal Howard played some ruck at Port Adelaide and, and by all accounts you know, account himself pretty well. And and we know that he's, he's mobile, he's agile, he's quick across the ground, he's, he competes hard. Do you put Dougal Howard in the middle and get him the to run problem, with, with yeah, The only problem there is covering him in the back line. So. Well, that's right. And that's where you've you got to yeah. look at Carlisle and, and yeah. Highmore and Wilkie and those guys to step up in, in, in that absence. Yeah, and that's so. the thing with, with Nat Nui. You've got to block his clearance influence. He's not a... You know, Gorn will jump up over your head and palm it down Oliver's throats. And we saw, I mean, Grundy, Collingwood against Brisbane. Collingwood had 63 hitouts to four mm. in that game. Yeah, didn't dominate the clearances. So it can be done. Brisbane tanked the ruck 100% in that game and just mm. worked on the rest of it. And it's, it's amazing. You bring in a, an extra mid like a Dunstan or sure. Bartel just to yeah. shark it. It's amazing that you can be dominated like that in a stat category and, and still win as they did. So... Um, look, if Marshall's fit and ticks the boxes, they're not going to be stupid with that. They'll they'll play him if he's right, and they'll they won't if he's not. I mean, Ryder won't play this week. He'd, he'd be a chance for the week after, but because the week after they go to Adelaide, so whether his first game would be an interstate trip or whether they'd pick him for the Richmond game potentially to run him in, but um, he's kept himself pretty fit from what I can gather, and hopefully he's right to go. But he'll need a hit out. Um, that would be probably throwing him to the walls as good a player as he is to play him straight away. So, um, yeah, that's the challenge. Look, Marshall would be ideal because he can go forward and gives us a bit more structure. But, yeah, I like the idea of somebody like Battle, even though I'd love to see him, as you said earlier, settled into a position and, and that doesn't allow for that. But horses for courses, it would be really, really important. So uh, Liam Ryan's in good form. How old, mate, Cripps. Um, he's in reasonable touch as well. Um their midfield gaff had a great game. Um, Sheed's in good form. Uh, they're intercept marking with she uh, with uh, Shepherd, McGovern, and Barras. Uh, we talk about Melbourne's intercept markers. West Coast have probably got the best in the business, so you just can't keep kicking it on the heads of them. Mm-hmm. Um, got to be smarter with ball movement. There were a lot of people that made references. Uh, Dean Gregg, who can be a, a touch uh, vocal with his opinions, and ex saying <laughs> uh, on Facebook made the point that. Uh, it was quite quite valid that in the space of 30 seconds in the third quarter, I think it was, we had an obsession where I think it was Brad Hill took the mark and immediately handballed it to Zach Jones, who was running flat out past him, straight towards a wall of Essendon players, kicked a tumbler inside 50 whilst running flat out straight to the opposition. Essendon went down the other end. Zach Merritt took a mark in effectively the same spot, about 60 metres out, turned, took about three or four seconds, looked hit up a leading target in Kale Hooker. Um, our ball movement sometimes can be a bit too frantic when we go forward. It's okay to be slightly more patient, um, particularly with guys that don't kick it that well, like Jones and Ross mm. and players like that. Um, so, yeah, we, we've just got to be really clever with how we go forward because I'll just eat everything for breakfast if we keep kicking it up in the air. Yeah, it seems like we're sort of trying to overdo that overlap run a little bit. Mm. Um Yes, some teams have proven that it's it's a great weapon, but as you're saying, if you handball like handballing to someone on the run, and then you have got a wall of defenders there, you, they're not going to run through them. 
You've got, um, to, you've got to be smart about it. And, and we saw last year it kind of worked to our advantage, the shorter quarters. We, we played a, a very specific game style that suited us three quarters of the time, but we, we saw when it didn't work, it really, really didn't work. Um, and I think we're seeing that a bit now is that, you know, longer quarters, teams are being patient at the right times and they're moving the ball quickly when they have the opportunity to do it. And there is a bit more opportunity to do it. So other teams, it feels like they're moving the ball quicker than, the, than we're used to because they are, because they've got the opportunity with things like the, the stand rule on the mark and, and some of the other things kicking out from, from kickouts and, and stuff, et cetera. There is a bit more of an opportunity to move the ball quicker and to have a bit of that overlap and, and run through the, the corridor. But you're right. We, we seem to, to, to overdo it. And then, then we get ourselves in trouble because we hand pass, we, we kick to players in trouble under pressure, and then they panic and they've got nothing to do. And all of a sudden the ball's turned over in the middle of the ground or at half back and, and there's acres of space for them to rebound into. And we saw that time and time again on the weekend. And, you know, it, it doesn't help when you've got those brain fades. We spoke about Carlisle before, but someone else who I think has, has probably shown us a couple of them that we didn't see last year, but Dukes, for, for all his leadership ability, has has shown that he's got a pretty decent brain fade in him a, a couple of times. And um, and even Wilkie we saw on the weekend, I think he kicked it out in the full once or twice. Um, Dougal Howard kicked it straight to the opponent. I think he got smothered on a kick out or, or something like that, kicked it straight to the the defender from a kick out and, uh, and gave up a goal there. So, you know, we, we've really got to stop these kind of lazy, lazy turnovers in, in the back half that, that, you know, direct directly um, give the opposition a shot at goal. Yeah. I was going to mention that kick in basically kicked it to the player who was almost standing on the blue dot that um, as a player kicking it out can virtually almost run to that point point. Mm before a defender gets to him. So he's kicked it less distance than what he actually could have ran the ball and then kicked it to someone else. So teams allow that little kick because they're getting no advantage. You're virtually... um, The player on the mark is going to be in either closer or just as far as where they were standing originally. So it's got to get past that kick in. I don't know whether they need to uh, get just get rid of the short kick. Um, as we see, we, we're winning the contested marks on the weekend. Keep kicking. If we can win, the, if we're winning contested marks, kick it to a contest. we got small players who should be around the feet. we got the tall players who we know can take marks. Use that advantage. Don't mm. try these fancy little kicks that you got to absolutely 100% pinpoint because if you miss it by half a metre, as you see, the goal straight from the kick out. Mm. So those little errors and just thinking, okay, what is a better option? Well, we that, really, and that's really it. Think- that's it. You know, you, you've hit the nail on the head in terms of finding the, the better option or the best option. You know, ideally we can find the best option, not just a better option, but the best one. Because even that, you know, there were a lot of times last week when, you know, Howard or whoever was taking the kick in would take those few extra steps and then boot it as long as they could, but it would go straight to Peter Wright or Kyle Hooker at 60 metres out. And all of a sudden, we've got a wave of bombers running into into our defensive 50 and presenting you know open targets for, for a hooker or a right or a, a merit running past or whoever it was, um, Aaron Francis, Darcy Parrish, Jake Stringer, 
Um, a lot of these guys that had had clear disposal and, and possession into the forward 50 for another shot at goal. And, and we gave it to them on, you know, on a silver platter too many times. Yeah, and Stringer is someone that we somehow managed to make look like a superstar every time we play him. So he's <laughs> well, that was that were the two moments. So there were two moments, yeah, in that in that first quarter that, that sort of sent alarm bells for me. Where I thought, yeah, this isn't this isn't pretty. And that hooker intercept from the kick in was one, uh, and the other was the sixth goal of the quarter, where um, it's in the highlights package if anyone dare watches it. But um, I remember screaming at the TV at that, where I think they took a mark. 65 metres out, it was Mason Redmond who um, just turned and ran to 50. He had two St Kilda players and I reckon it was Billings and Battle five metres off him on both sides and they literally just chaperoned him. They ran with him to attacking 50 and basically said, well, he'll kick it eventually and he just kicked it straight through the middle and I'm like, well, could one of you just cut the angle and run across and put some pressure on him? One of you run in front of him and one of you run at him so make him kick over one of you under pressure from the other. It made little sense that, that there was nothing like that. So, um, yeah, that was deeply, deeply concerning. But uh, the, the challenge is on them now. They are a better side than they showed. They've proven that. But And last year they had a couple of horrifying defeats that they did respond from immediately. The Fremantle loss where they gave up a six-and-a-half goal lead. They, they won their next four. Uh, the North Melbourne loss, they came out after what was admittedly was a huge COVID break, but we played really well after that. So they've responded from it. it. It's never been quite as bad as it was in this game. Even the Collingwood belting, they came out and beat Richmond the following week. So um, there's reasons to believe that, um, that that they can respond, but they've got to do it in really tough fixtures. And maybe if we want to sell it as a positive, uh, that is the challenge you need. You don't get a better challenge than that. Um, how do you measure yourself against the best? Can you get yourself back into form in those really tough hit outs. So um, we'll stick by them because that's what we do. We'll go again. Um, and hopefully next week back on track two and two with a win over the West Coast Eagles wouldn't actually look too bad. It would, uh, you'd feel a lot better about the, uh, about the world if, if it does go that way. So they'll respond. I think we can agree with that. But can the response generate, response generate a victory and generate enough momentum to sort of kickstart things going forward? Fingers crossed that it does do that. So that'll wrap us up for this week on Unplugged. We were uh, intending to chat to Lazar Vidovic. We'll hopefully get him over coming days. He did warn me when we were uh, speaking earlier today that he's been on night shift a bit this week and may fall asleep, and it appears he has done that. So um, when he does resurface, we'll get the big fella on. Um, really interested to chat to him too. Uh, uh, doing a bit of research for the interview, a stat that stood out for me is that over the course of Lazo Vitovic's time at St Kilda, our winning percentage was 41%. But when he played, it was 56%. Um, he had a very good strike rate and played in some really good St Kilda teams. When he was up and about, we were generally pretty good. So I um, wanted to have a chat to him about that. And everybody always talks about one Ruckman we missed in the 1997 grand final. There was another we missed, and we may have won the game with either of those two present that afternoon but hopefully we'll uh, track a uh, big Lazar down shortly but uh, Nick we are up on all of the uh, the socials Twitter Instagram Facebook and the like and um, plenty of those featured chats if people want to look back on them but um, yeah as we say go Saints just as we did, as we did last week but we fight on with uh, 19 games to go it's always there's always another week isn't there and so uh, as Saints fans we're, we're pretty used to that I think we have never-ending hope and 
maybe it's to our detriment, but uh, we always we always know that there's another week and there's another game and there's another year and there's always there's always some more heartbreak around the corner. So yeah, <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs>